0: Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope it blesses you.
1: We're in a series about the things that Jesus didn't say. Sometimes it's really helpful to look at things that Jesus didn't say so that we can understand the power of the things that he did say. Uh, But to begin with, so we're going to have a look at um, at that in in a few moments' time. But to begin with, as we gather seats and get yourself a drink and come and sit down, A little bit of church news, have we got anything up? Is there anything that can remind me what's happening in the church? You got anything up there? No, that's fine. So we're having a little shindig, if if this is your first time here. My family and I have been called to the west coast of America, so we're off in a couple of weeks' time, and so uh, I know nothing about this party, um, but I do know it's going ahead on the 9th, thank you four till six okay Uh, and apart from that I know nothing about what's going to happen but please do come along we'd love you to share in saying goodbye some people will probably see us off at the airport just to make sure we do actually go you could be part of that party too if you want to before then we've got uh, actually on that Sunday there is a service of light in here Two o'clock in the afternoon, Sunday the 10th. It's an opportunity for those people who have lost loved ones in the last year maybe, or maybe it was even stretching back decades. But you just want to come and you want to find a a place of peace, uh, a a place of quiet, a place to remember and and to be still in God's presence. So that's at two o'clock on that Sunday afternoon the 10th. We call it a service of light. There'll be candles and we'll be able to pray for you, etc., etc. So if that's you, if you're kind of still in the grip of grief or... Uh, you know, Maybe even if it was some time ago that you lost someone that you loved, um, but you would like to come and remember them in that service, then do come along to that, Sunday the 10th. Uh, October the 31st, we will have our thing, what we call the treat, which is our light party, so uh, anyone from ages... Primary school age, anyone of primary school age is welcome to come. That's who it's aimed at. You're welcome to come to. so it's obviously it's our alternative to Halloween. So a safe space in here that we give over so that the kids don't have to go out and hassle people out in the streets, but can come and enjoy and do crafts and activities and just hear and feel and sense the presence of God uh, instead of what they might be hearing and sensing the presence of outside. Is there anything else? No, that'll do. Well, it's great to have you with us. Ricks is going to take some photos during this evening, so don't, if, you, if you don't want to be in the profile, or if you don't want to be on our website, then do let him know. He'll take you to the off-camera off, off camera area, which is literally outside the church, Ricks. <laughs> all right? Um, so it's great. I'm, I'm assuming that's why you've all turned up tonight, because normally it's just me, myself, and I. And I'm quite happy preaching to myself, but so it's, it's really, I'm really pleased to see so many of you here Um, to hear this message. So we're in a series of things that Jesus didn't say. Uh, And like I say, the purpose is to find out the things that he didn't say and in order to discover the power of the things that he did say, sometimes it's helpful to look at what he didn't say. What he could have said, what he might have said, but actually what he didn't say, to truly embrace the power of the words that he did say. So tonight I want to talk a little bit about happiness I guess my first question is, who put the chewing gum on the floor It's now stuck to my trainer? And who wants to be happy? Who amongst us wants to be happy? Does anyone in this room want to be happy? No, the question was not whether you want joy. Don't try and change my sermon. It's not helpful. I've prepared something to say. Who wants to be happy? Okay, thanks. Yeah, of course, we we want to be happy. We want to be happy. I don't know anyone who would say their goal in life is to be miserable, right? The opposite of happiness. Does anyone, has anyone come in this evening thinking, what I'm really looking forward to tonight is Ron and the team making me feel absolutely miserable about myself? Have you come for that? No. Oh, that's a shame. That would have been a very different sermon. So here's, here's a few things before we dive into today, some things that Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, whoever wants to be my disciple must affirm themselves, avoid the cross, follow their own heart. He didn't say that. Jesus did not say, go out into the world and preach whatever makes people happy. He didn't actually say that. Uh, Jesus never said, ask and it will be given to you because God is your celestial sugar daddy. He's not your cosmic Coke machine. He's not your jacuzzi Jesus. And God never said that about our happiness. there's a few things he didn't say. But I would love it. Has anyone got a Bible with them? They could read John chapter 8. Do you want to read that? John chapter 8. story of the woman caught in adultery. If you can read down to, yeah, down to there 1 to 11. Thanks.
0: Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such women. The old ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin.
1: Thank you. So the story starts this way. At dawn, Jesus has appeared in the temple courts. All the people are gathered around him oh that does really freak me out because I just suddenly for a moment felt like Jesus with all the people gathered around me get yourself wrong uh, all the people gathered around him and he is teaching them he's in the middle of teaching them and the teachers of the law the people like me were actually sat around him the Pharisees that they were called they were people who looked really religious on the outside but generally were quite hypocritical on the inside. So the teachers and the Pharisees brought this woman that Kirsty read about caught in adultery. Uh, Let's just pause there for a moment because I want you to visualize this. Jesus is out in the town square. He's essentially just led a a life group. Some of you are life group leaders, you know how that feels. Jesus has just led a life group or he's led a Bible study. And then some hypocritical religious leaders drag this woman who was caught in the act of adultery over to ask him some questions about what's happening. There's a couple of things that we're not going to have time to address. The first thing is this, uh, there was clearly a man in the story, and this man is nowhere to be seen. I I know from watching Strictly, it takes two to tango. All right. Secondly, there's some question marks about where these religious leaders were peeping at, because they must have been watching what was going on. So where were they stood, what were they looking at, and why were they doing that? Uh, yeah, and you can imagine if she got caught in the act, chances are she was barely dressed. And this would have been one of the lowest, most humiliating moments of her life. And I just wonder, just to pause there, I wonder if there's been a particular moment in your life where you've been at your lowest, where it's been most humiliating. And they made this woman stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in their law, in those days, if someone was caught in the act of adultery, what needed to happen to them was they needed to be stoned. And so just imagine, they're going to throw rocks at her until she dies a really horrible death. And they asked Jesus, so what do you say about it? And if you've got your Bibles with you, if you look at verse 6, you'll see that they have some motives behind their question. They're using this question as a trap for Jesus. They want to trap him because they want to have this basis to accuse him. And actually, so really, in theory, he's in this kind of no-win situation. Why did they want to do that? Well, according to the law of Moses, this woman is guilty. According to the law of Moses, she should be stoned. And we're not talking about the recreational medicinal purposes here. If he agrees, yeah, do I hear someone laughing? You just have to keep up with me quickly. If he agrees and says yes, go ahead, stone her, kill her, he loses his reputation for being a man full of grace. If, on the other hand, he says, ah, it's not that big a deal, let's make an exception here. He's breaking the law of Moses and apparently condoning the sin of adultery. What in the world? Is Jesus going to do he's in this no-win situation and at the end of the verse says Jesus bent down and started to write something in the ground if you've been around church for a while you'll probably know the story really well they ask him a question he kneels down starts scribbling something in the sand and that question has probably been on your lips you've probably asked about that what was he writing what is it that Jesus wrote down in the sand and the answer is I'd love to be able to say what it was but actually we don't really know. We have some ideas. Some of the later manuscripts in fact say that Jesus wrote the sins of the hypocritical men accusing this woman in the sand because the word that is used means to write down against. So whatever he was writing down it was something that he was writing down against someone or something. And I'm just visualizing this. I'm going to try not to look at anyone in particular. But Jesus is looking out to the Pharisees. And maybe he sees Phil. Have we got any Phil's in tonight? He sees Phil the Pharisee, right? So he writes down in the sand. He bends down. He writes down, Phil. Phil, since I'm the son of God and I know what's in your browser history, And I don't have to go back too far to realize that you were searching for Bikini Babes in Malibu just last Tuesday or whatever it is, you know. I know you feel the Pharisee. Perhaps he's writing down the sins of those who are bringing this woman, this accusation against this woman. And the story goes on. They kept questioning Jesus. They keep trying to pin him in to this place where they can trap him. And so he just straightens out. And he says that he is without sin, cast the first stone. Any of you who is without sin, cast the first stone. And I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of times when I didn't do it, but part of me really wanted to. It's amazing how easy it is to point the finger at other people when in fact you're doing exactly the same thing. And I heard this story once that when you point the finger at someone, how many fingers are pointing back at you? There are three fingers pointing back at you. Be careful when you point fingers because there are three pointing straight back at you. I could have been doing the same thing that I see in someone else or maybe even something worse, something different. Like when I'm preaching on the Good Samaritan, do you know how hard it is? not to step over, to walk across the street when I see certain people coming towards me. I mean, some people are in, even in my own congregation. I think about crossing over the street. <laughs> or, or I'm in the... <laughs> I don't know whether that's true or not, it's fine. Or I'm in the supermarket and can I just get down this aisle before so-and-so sees me? And I've just been preaching on the Good Samaritan. I know how difficult it is. I'm thinking not today, Lord, Please. But whoever is not only without sin, but if you've never even wanted to sin, you can pick up the rock and hurl it at this woman who is so ashamed. Jesus straightens up. Woman, where are they? Where are your accusers now? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. Then Jesus, then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. But here is what he did not say. He did not say, then neither do I condemn you. Now go and do whatever makes you happy. Right? We all agree. He did not say that, right? He did not say, go now, follow your own heart. It doesn't matter what you do, as long as you don't hurt anybody. He didn't say that either. Go now, do whatever makes you happy. He did not say that. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's not a condemning, judgmental statement. It's full of love. And you can feel the urgency. Go now. Don't wait. Freedom is on your doorstep. <coughs> Go now. Don't wait. Live a better life. Go now. Don't wait. You don't have to live in shame anymore. You don't have to live for the lower things of this world. You have a higher calling on your life. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in darkness. I have set you free, says Jesus. I have the power and the authority to set you free. So go now and be free from your life of sin. It's full of love and it's full of grace. You don't have to be held hostage anymore. You're free to go walk in the truth. Isn't that great? Incredible how he does that. Why is it that so many of us, including me, give in to temptation so often? Why is that? Well, the answer is I think it looks appealing, right? I think it looks fun. How many of you would agree sin can be fun? Raise your hands, raise your hands. A lot of you are thinking, I'm not saying that in church. I might get smited. Some of you are very brave. Look at that. Sometimes it just looks like fun. (laughs) Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews, calls it the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's pleasurable for a little while. Sin can be fun. And if you don't think sin could be fun, I don't think you're doing it right. <laughs> or or you're just lying. I can say this sort of thing. I'm, on, I'm going out the back <laughs> door. It's fine. You know, it's fun for a little while, but it will trip you up. Yes. It will mess you up. Yes. Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. And eventual pain to you. Let me say that again. Sin, temptation, promises satisfaction. You're going to like this. It's going to be good. It's going to make you feel happy. You're really going to enjoy it. It promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God and eventual pain to you. For many of us, the problem is that we we have this kind of happiness and holiness are at odds. And my, my brother is like that. He's not in the room tonight, is he? Sorry, I can talk about him. He has, has this idea that he wouldn't be able to be holy and happy because he's a hedonist. So he, he looks at me and he goes, but, but Ron, you've, you've given up so much, such of the, so much of the party life. How can you really have happiness? You're, you're becoming holy, but what about the happiness? Deep down it's because we think that maybe you have to choose one or the other. Do I have to choose happiness or do I have to choose holiness? And if you choose holiness, I want to be holy, then you're destined for a life of being miserable. That's what my brother thinks, forever and ever. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to be miserable. Our God is not in heaven looking down on you whom he loves and saying, for God so loved the world that he wants his children to be holy and miserable. He's not saying that. He is a good and loving Father. Anyone read any of Max Lucado's books? He's a a great author, great writer. He tells this great illustration. He asks the question, would a fish ever be happy on the beach? And if you can just visualize you you take a fish out of water, you put a fish on the beach, answer the question, is the fish on the beach happy? The answer, of course, is no. What's the fish doing? He's he's probably, you know, (laughs) like this, right? doing that to start with. Uh, I'm I'm not going to try. I imagine we give the fish some things from this world to help the fish feel happy. Let's give the fish some things. Let's give the fish a pile of of cash. Is the fish happy now? No. The answer is no. What if we throw a party for the fish? We get all the best looking fish out of the sea. We put them there together we give them some cool beats so the fish can, you know, bop and pop and whatever else. Uh, is the fish happy now? No. no. We, give it some, <laughs> we give it some margaritas. Huh? What if the fish takes a selfie? He gets a record number of likes. Everybody goes crazy. Oh, fish, you look so fine. You're on fire. Oh, you're so hot. You're hot. Is the fish happy? No. no. What if you get the fish a Playboy slash a Play Fish magazine? Look at the tail on that fish. Okay. Is the fish happy? No, the fish is never happy because the fish was not created for the beach. If you find yourself wondering why you aren't happy, why aren't you happy? Because maybe you're living for the things of this world. You were not created for those things. You were created by God, for God, to live for things that are not of this world. And that's why sin, it promises so much and delivers zilch. Promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventual pain to you. King David said it really well. Psalm 16 verse 11, he said, You, God, will make known to me the path of life. Your presence in your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Not the fleeting pleasures of sin, but the eternal and that's why when the woman who was guilty, as we are guilty, as I am guilty, who was caught in this most shameful moment of life, Jesus doesn't look at her and say, you know what, I am embarrassed by your behaviour. Things Jesus did not say. He did not look at the woman and say, I am embarrassed by your behaviour. After all I've done for you, this is the way that you choose to live, you're pathetic. No, what Jesus said is something so much better. He says... Be free. Walk in the truth. Go now. Leave the lower things of your life and live for the things that really matter. So what do you do when you know what's right but you keep doing what's wrong? What do you do when you feel trapped? Maybe some of us feel that today. It looked good, it promised something but it didn't deliver and now you can't find your your way out. I'll just check and see where my family are. Uh, I'll skip that story. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it was for me. For many of you, perhaps it's not drugs. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you're medicating yourself somewhere along the line. You're trying to fill this void with approval from something or other. Maybe for you it's something that you smoke. Maybe it's something that you pop. Maybe it's something that you feel on the inside. So you fill yourself up with food and you keep eating and you keep eating and you feel embarrassed and you try to hide it but you keep doing it. Some of you maybe it's the feeling of emptiness and so you somehow believe that if you just get that something, whatever it is, the pair of shoes, the purse, the image, you overspend and you overspend and you wait for the box to be delivered to your house and whatever's in the box, whatever's on that shelf, whatever's on that webpage is what I really need to be happy. Some of you, you just clicked and you looked and you click and you look and you swear you'll never do it again and you ask God to help you to never do it again. Then you look again and then you promise I'll never do it again and then you look again and then you surrender and you just go into might as well then. Then you feel sick and you're ashamed and you're caught in this trap and you just can't get out. My experience as a pastor tells me that there's a fair chance that some of us feel like that this evening. And the whole point of me talking to you tonight is to say that the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God to deliver you from that life is available to you. I have to believe that otherwise everything I trained for, the reason why I stand here, the reason why I've done this for the past eight years of my life is worth nothing. Worth nothing. It's empty promises. But I don't because I stand here on the promise of God, which is forgiveness for sin, that he will take your sin and he will take it as far as the east is from the west, that he will take your sin and he will throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. And at that moment, he will say, not go now and do whatever makes you happy, but go now. And live your life live your life to the full the fullness of me the fullness of the Holy Spirit the fullness of my hope the fullness of my peace the fullness of my joy our God is always faithful Paul puts it that he is is so faithful that he will never let us be tempted beyond what we can bear so when you are tempted when you are trapped when you are stuck When you feel like you're in prison and there is no way out, know that God will, He does provide a way out for you. There is always grace. There's always the potential for freedom. The door is always open to you. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, because you won't be able to do it on your own right, but with the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, you will be able to walk those ways. You will be able to turn from your sin, from your sinfulness, from your brokenness. And walk with Jesus into a happier future. Let's just pray for a moment. Curse is going to play behind that.
0: For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit our website.